This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Tax planning is a year-round process, but it often takes on extra importance at the conclusion of each year as farmers and others make December decisions that will impact their bottom line and the taxes they pay. Paul Neifer shares what has changed and what remains the same for this year and the keys to keep in mind for long-range estate planning. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, and it's brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. You may remember that Pivot Bio Proven adheres to the root of the corn plant, creating a mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's a weather-resistant and more sustainable way to achieve more predictable and more productive yields than ever before. We've been conducting field trials now for the past two years and have found a yield bump of five to seven bushels per year. While that yield advantage is nice, the real advantage comes because we can replace some of our synthetic nitrogen with Pivot Bio Proven, since it's a proven source of nitrogen. At this time of much higher input prices, Pivot Bio Proven is a real game changer. If Pivot Bio Proven can replace about 40 pounds of synthetic top dress nitrogen, that's an advantage worth exploring. That's why I've been doing field trials on my own farm, and I hope you'll look into Pivot Bio Proven as well. You can see results and learn more by going to pivotbio.com. Most folks in agriculture are winding up a good year financially. With profits come the tax bill, and that has us making our usual call to Paul Neifer for advice on things like prepaid expenses, deferring income, evaluating purchases, and more. Plus, we'll take a look at the long term. How do current and proposed changes to tax laws warrant an evaluation of how we position our ownership transitions, selling and gifting assets, and more, both now and in the future? As usual, Paul provides many good things to consider as we manage our operation, And at the end of our interview, he provides some good points to think about when it comes to paying our kids. Here's our conversation. Paul Neifer is my guest. Paul, thank you for joining me. You've been with me several times here on Farming the Countryside. And we usually have this conversation around the end of the year every year because we're talking about tax planning. And so we've got a lot of different things we can talk about. But first of all, tell me what's going on in your world. Are you out in Washington State today? I am actually in my little home office in Dayton, Washington, uh, you know, population 2,500 or whatever. Actually, I went into my Walla Walla office this morning and uh, we've added some new people and they had stolen, I'm going to say they stole my computer monitor. So I turned around and drove back to, to Dayton, Washington. So uh, no, they didn't really steal it. Uh, they just borrowed it. So, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm actually home. I will be gone next week and believe it after that i'm actually home for the rest of the year so that's that's something unusual for me to be home like almost three weeks in a row yeah home isn't a a bad place to be sometimes good well you know there's so much that we can always talk about and it's hard for me to know where to jump in on this topic and i'm sure you've been advising a lot of people and and you know maybe i start with this because we had a change of administrations obviously about this time last year and with that came a lot of talk that we might have a lot of changes so tell me at this point has it been mostly just talk of a lot of changes or do we actually have changes that we need to think about as we're winding up 2021 
I'm going to say, luckily, it's been mostly talk, um, assuming that the Build Back Better Act finally get, does get passed. And we know Mansion and Cinema, you know, they're going to probably tweak it down even a little bit more than what the House bill was. Right now, for most farmers, there is hardly anything in the bill that would directly affect them at all. Um, you know, if you have a farmer that's a little bit more successful, has a little bit more of adjusted gross income over the $400,000 level, uh, there is an extra 3.8% net investment income tax that would apply to their farm earnings if, or if they do commodity wages and so on. But that's only on the excess. So I, I think for most farmers, you know, yeah, there's some other tweakage. There's uh, some tweakage on the excess business loss rules. But again, that doesn't apply to too many farmers. Um, other than that, they're really, you know, it's pretty minor as to what the, what the, any income tax provisions that are in the um, Build Back Better Act for most farmers. Now, there's big provisions if you're a publicly traded company, huge provisions, but for the typical farmer out there that really is your core audience and my core audience, not much at all. And those are just in the bill that has not been passed yet. Is that correct then? That's correct. Correct. Until this thing passes, there, there's nothing. Now, I will back up one second in the uh, BIF Act. What was that? The bipart. What? What was the BIF Act? The Infrastructure Bill. When I hear BIF, I think of Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, but, in, but in that act, there is something that is affecting farmers. Uh, those farmers that qualified for an employee retention credit, uh, that was a payroll tax credit. That technically was supposed to go through the end of the year, but the BIF Act actually terminated it as of September 30th. Well, that didn't really pass until the middle of November, so you had a lot of farmers that were relying on this through, let's say, November 15th. Now, do they have to pay it back? How quickly do they have to pay it back? What's the penalties associated with it? There shouldn't be any penalties because they were doing what was under the law. So that, that's something that, yeah, that's going to affect some of our farmers, uh, but you know, we'll see what happens. So as you're advising clients this year, is the advice much the same as it would have been this time last year then? Yep, yep. It's almost the exact same advice. You know, we want to be, uh, if pop and, and farmers are having a pretty good year, so, you know, we probably want to be, doing the typical, maybe deferring some revenue from this year into next year, maybe doing some prepaid farm expenses, um, you know, possibly buying new equipment. The problem with buying new equipment is you can't get it. I mean, if you're placing an order now, you might not get it till 2023, not 2022, but 2023. So that's why I think in my opinion, of course, machine repeat would probably echo that, is the use uh, farm machinery market is just hot as it's ever been. I mean, I, I don't remember it ever being, maybe back in the 70s, uh, I remember with my dad that he sold equipment for about 35% more than what he paid for it. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't think we've seen anything like this, like I say, since the 70s. We often have the discussion about prepaying those expenses, and I think it's worth the time to go back over that because certainly a lot of farmers do have some income that they will go ahead and pay for some expenses ahead of time. So remind us what we need to think about if we're going to do that before the year's out. Well, you know, the key is it, it actually needs to be for an actual expense. You know, some uh, so many times I see these invoices that just say prepayment, you know, that doesn't work. It needs to be an actual invoice that shows the quantity, what the item is, an extended amount. Uh, it needs to be uh, really, you're actually purchasing. And even though you haven't been able to get it delivered, 
you're actually purchasing. Well, this year, Andrew, that's, you know, in past, that's been pretty easy to do. But what I'm finding out, you know, talking to my farm clients and, and actually, I'm almost a farmer now. I, I, I think I'm up to about 1,200 acres that I'm either sort of farming or crop sharing. Uh, it's difficult to, you know, prepay for farm expenses right now because they just don't have the product and they're not sure if they're going to get it and they're not going to guarantee a price. So uh, it's just more difficult. And then also, if your prepaid farm expenses are more than 50% of all your other farm expenses, including depreciation, that excess is not deductible this year. It would be deductible next year. Uh, a couple other items. You really shouldn't go out more than a year on your expenses. So you can't prepay two or three years of expenses. You can only prepay one year. Prepaid rent is separate. You know, that's not a prepaid farm expense. That's rent. So you can always prepay next year's rent this year if you want to. Uh, so some of the, those are some of the key items that you have to watch out for when you're dealing with prepaid farm expenses. You mentioned rent and certainly input prices are higher too. So as we transition from 2021 to 2022, any things I need to keep in mind is I'm going to be paying more for a lot of different things. And now certainly that's just a, a discussion of margins, but from a tax planning standpoint, any things that I should be keeping in mind? You know, I, I think what you really want to be doing, we, we don't tell our clients not to pay taxes. We tell our clients to optimize their taxes, you know, take advantage of those lower brackets, the 10%, the 12% bracket, maybe the 22% bracket. So really when we're trying to do tax planning, we're looking at both 21 and 22. I mean, if we end up doing such a good job in 2021 that, you know, in 2022, you're going to have this huge bulge of, of extra income, we really haven't effectively done much. Uh, also, out in my area, we have a lot of farmers that had crop insurance. You know, our, our wheat yields, our legume yields out here were 40 to 50 percent below normal. So in that case, they're going to have a lot of crop insurance that we can defer into 2022. But then they have to realize that income is going to show up in 2022. So... Um, you know, we, we really need to, it's, I, I hate using the word holistic. I mean, holistic, uh, you know, to me, that means about 32 different things, depending on who's saying that. But we really want to look at the whole of the tax plan. It isn't just this year. It's next year, the year after, and see where they're at. Also, on our more successful farmers, we actually go through and do a calculation as to what is that deferred tax liability that's sitting there that eventually they're going to end up paying. Uh, so we want to at least monitor that and understand what is that deferred tax liability. Well, you know, we, of course, don't like to pay taxes, but we do have to pay taxes. And, and there is a strategy to paying a certain amount of tax going forward, correct? That's part of good planning, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like I say, if, 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 if you're sitting there paying no taxes and you're wasting that 10 and 12% tax bracket, you know, to some degree now with farm income averaging, we can maybe uh, still get advantage of that if they spike some income, maybe every three or four years. But uh, yeah, we, we want to understand what is your true earnings. And then based on your true earnings, we're going to say, okay, we really need to be paying in this amount of taxes. Is there anything I need to keep in mind this year since we had, you know, PPP loans? We've also gotten some other government payments that have come to us. It's certainly many farmers have received payments from the government for a variety of different programs in the past. But anything specific we need to think about this year with those? Yeah, I think we we continue to get a lot of questions both from farmers and tax preparers. 
hey, we got this state grant, or we got CFAP, or we got MFP. Uh, you know, their assumption a lot of the times is that these are tax-free, you know, they're non-taxable. Well, that's not correct. Everything that other than maybe PPP, obviously that was tax-free, the forgiveness there, uh, but almost everything else that was a pandemic-type stimulus uh, for farmers uh, likely is going to be taxable, and it can't be deferred. You know, a lot of times they hear, hey, I got this payment, and it's a government payment, and they think sort of like crop insurance, I can defer it for a year. Well, no. Whenever you get that payment, that's when you pick it up as income. So uh, I, th I think that's one thing that they really should be understanding is stimulus payments are taxable unless it's specifically non-taxable. And the only thing really for farmers in most cases is going to be the PPP. So far, we've talked mostly just about this year and then moving into next year. But let's take an even bigger view over to estate planning and those thresholds. Certainly, there was a lot of talk that those might be moving. I might need to look at my plans again. It's always good to look at those plans. But what should I be thinking about then long term dealing with uh, my estate and gifting and, and these types of things? Yeah, I, I you know, it's it's. Yeah, nobody has a perfect crystal ball. That's the problem. I mean, uh, I, I've I've talked to a lot of clients. You know, a lot of attorneys, estate planning attorneys, have, have convinced their clients to do large gifts this year. I, I think with where we're at now, that wasn't really needed. Uh, my always my concern with large gifts is well, let's go back to 2012. There was a lot of assets that were gifted that, in hindsight, our clients are going that wasn't the smartest thing I've ever done. Um, so. I think you really need to be, this is a good time to be really structuring what, what should our state plan be? How should we structure it? Um, you know, we still have probably another three or four years before the exemption amount is going to drop. Uh, you know, we're all, I think, fairly confident that there's no way the Democrats are going to keep both parties next year. So the exemption is not going to change, um, you know, between now and 20, the end of 2025, likely. Uh, but that gives us time to understand that, you know, we need to be doing some plans. Now, the other thing on the other side, playing devil's advocate, the exemption, the exemption amount has never gone down. Throughout history, it's never gone down. And with the fact that it is up at that uh, 12 million right now, well, starting next year is 12 million and 60, there's still a good chance that it's not going to go down. Uh, now, we have the chatter uh, from what I would call the progressives. You know, they certainly wanted to do a transfer tax. I, I think that's uh, dead on arrival. Well, right now it certainly is. But I think in, in the future, as you go through that, that is so draconian for our farmers out there that have a lot of leverage. Uh, you know, a lot of the, your farm heirs would end up, you know, if that transfer tax was there, they'd end up having a farm that really has negative value. And and so I, 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 th I think... You know, believe it or not, I think in Congress, wiser heads are going to prevail on the transfer tax. But on the estate tax, you know, that's going to be here. But I think with planning and time, it's fairly easy for most of our farmers never to be hit with an estate tax. You visit with a lot of different farmers out there. Are we doing a pretty good job as a whole of, of planning or where do we make our mistakes as we think about that long term plan? And how should I go about doing that? Or even if I've done that? reevaluating what I've done. Yeah, I think on the estate planning side, I think most of them have done a fairly good job. I, I think where I see more of an issue is maybe on the succession planning side, uh, you know, that sort of the soft part of 
transferring the actual operation from the older generation to the newer generation. Um, and both sides have good argument, and argument's not the right word, but they have good facts on their side. You know, dad, maybe dad's in his 50s. He's not ready to quit farming, but sons are now in their late 20s, and they're like, hey, we're ready to do our own deal. Dad, get out of the way. So, you know, you have that potential friction uh, that I, I think has is, is caused more angst in the farm community uh, than the estate planning side. Like I say, most of our farmers out there uh, are not going to face an estate tax, but they are going to face the transition from their generation to the next generation. So so that part, and, and actually I'm dealing with about five or six different clients right now just dealing with that transition. Paul, I want to pick your brain for just a moment because you deal with so many different clients what are some of those <clears throat> types of things that we should be thinking about? Because, you know, a lot of us think that we're we're progressive and we're doing what we need to do. But what are the things that sneak up on us that you see? Boy, it'd been good to think about this <laughs> a few years ago instead of now. Well, and I think uh, certainly in that transition area, there are um, certain entities that farmers have set up, whether it's C corporations, whether it's uh, partnerships. And it's just difficult to transfer that without creating a large tax liability, uh, you know, because farmers are able to deduct everything. And they think, well, then I'll transfer it to my sons. Well, hey, yeah, you can do that. But now, by the way, do you want to pay a million dollars of taxes? So I, I, I think that's why I say our more progressive farmers, in a good term, you know, these days progressive and maybe is not the best term, but our, our better farmers, let's say, understand, recognize what that liability is, and then work over a five or 10 year period to minimize that. So it is a very smooth transition. Uh, most of the time, you know, I have farmers that come and talk to me and, and they wanna do the transition now. And I'm like, you know, there's not much we can do now. Now over time, we can do something, but there's not a lot we can do now. So that, that's one thing I, I, I see more and more of that now. And some of the numbers are big. I mean, we're talking 10, 15, 20, 30 million dollars of deferred, well, not taxes, but you know, potentially five or 10 million dollars of taxes that they've tried to kick down the road. They've done a great job of kicking it down the road. Problem is it's becoming a cliff that they can't get over. So uh, that's something I definitely am well aware of. We'll go from kind of the end years of life and farming back to the beginning years. For those that are family farmers and maybe they've got some kids, and those could be anybody from teenagers to younger ones either on the farm or coming back, what would be some things I need to think about as I might be bringing people back in? Or perhaps I've got young people, kids working on the farm. Should I think about setting up a, a retirement account and kicking some yep. wages into that? What types of things should I think about if I've got well, some young people? Yeah. Certainly, if you have kids that are working, just like my brother and I, we worked on the farm. I don't know when I started driving a tractor and a combine. You know, those days, I don't know what it was. Uh, make sure you're paying them appropriate wages. There's so much tax benefits to paying appropriate wages to your kids. The, the nice feature about that, the child can then open up a Roth IRA. There's no age limit on a Roth. You put, you know, up to, let's say, 6000 or so into the Roth IRA. They could use that for college. Likely, we probably don't want them to do that. Uh, and, and beyond, um, you know, paying appropriate wages. And, and the, you know, a lot of them don't understand that if you have a child and your husband and wife schedule F, so to speak, and the child's under age 18, 
there is no payroll taxes associated with that. I mean, you can pay them five, ten thousand dollars You don't have any FICA, no Medicare, no FUTA, uh, no unemployment, and so on. And then if they're over that age, pay them a commodity wage. You know, pay them some corn, pay them some uh, soybeans or wheat or whatever it might be. Again, not subject to payroll taxes. So that's a wonderful way of doing it. And if you still have some extra um, money that you want to give to your kids to maybe use for college, give them a commodity gift. You know, if you give a commodity gift to them, it actually reduces your income. On their end, if they hold it at least a year after harvest, it's going to be a long-term capital gain. Uh, maybe tax-free. It might be at your parents' rate, uh, but you know that, that that's one thing where my mother sort of messed up. My mother was the was the um, finance person in our family. She actually prepared taxes for herself and and several relatives and friends. But when my brother and I were working on the farm, we never got paid a wage. It actually ended up costing uh, our parents quite a bit of tax money, so to speak, um, and. Now we got paid, you know, my brother and I, we got a car, we got paid for our college education, but we never got paid a wage. And, and that probably cost, in today's dollars, I bet you that cost my parents twenty dollars or $30,000 of, of lost benefits, so to speak. So just make sure that you're paying your kids. Now, pay them appropriately. You know, they're not worth $300 an hour. You know, they're worth, you know, $20 an hour, whatever it might be. Uh, and document it, you know, treat them as if they were a regular employee, uh, but that is certainly something that you definitely want to do. Yeah, good ideas. It sounds like, you know, a lot of us did work in a sense, I'll put in quotes, for free or we, you know, to pay off a car. But really, it sounds like a very important thing to think about. It can have big tax implications by paying wages to your kids. Yes, yes. No, it's it's in these days, you know, like I said, I, I did spring planting. I did. I worked four solid, five solid weeks in the summer doing harvests and and you know that wasn't it wasn't like corn where you could go all night, but it was from 5 a.m. in the morning to about 9 p.m. at night, six days a week. We didn't work on Sundays, um, you know. And again, that was for three or four solid weeks, and then started doing fall planting after that because we were winter wheat out in this area. And and like I say, we got paid. It wasn't for free. We got paid, but we didn't get paid a wage, and that's what costs a lot of money. And and you know, it, it's plus. I think when you show that child, hey, here's your W-2, here's what you paid, you know, they even appreciate it a little bit more. Hey, yeah, I physically got, that was my earnings for the year. Here's my tax return. Now they may not file a tax return, but, uh, you know, it just, it just helps them uh, become an adult even a little bit sooner. Paul, as we wind up here, things to think about as we wind up 2021, we've covered several topics, but any last tips that you would want farmers to be thinking about uh, as we move toward 2022? Well, I think luckily, as we mentioned, it, it's sort of, uh, um, you know, the standard operating procedure for tax planning, is, it really hasn't changed. You know, we thought earlier in the year there was a lot of angst that we're going to have to really redo everything that we've done, thought about. But as far as we can tell, really, everything is, is going to be uh, system normal, so to speak. So that's good. That's what we wanted. Paul, as always, I appreciate the time. And tell folks about your podcast as well, because I know you're out there talking about these topics really all year round, correct? Yeah. So I started a podcast earlier this year called The Farm CPA, it's sort of presented by top producers since I do a column for them. And uh Actually, I think I'm going to be interviewing you here pretty soon. So uh, <laughs> we're going to turn the tables on you, Andrew, and we're going to do an interview of you. So uh, 
But uh, and then of course the the blog, uh, you know, either on AgWeb or at FarmCPAToday.com. Uh, I can't believe it's almost been 13 years. It's 13 years almost. Uh, well, in February of, of, of 2022, it'll be 13 years since I started the blog. Well, well, Paul, as always, thank you for the time, and I uh, hope folks not only enjoy this podcast, but check out yours as well. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can catch past shows at farmingthecountryside.com, and you can get more info by following Farming the Countryside on Facebook. You can also follow our daily features, American Countryside, on many local radio stations, and we're also at AmericanCountryside.com and American Countryside on Facebook as well. And don't forget, we're posting ideas for revitalizing rural and agricultural America at TotalTownMakeover.com. If you go under the Resources tab there, you'll find many of our TV, radio, and podcast features that will give you ideas for where you live. And if you're looking for a holiday gift idea, all of our books can be found there at TotalTownMakeover.com as well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.